Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show was written, produced, and recorded in Huichin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settle as the East Bay Area. On tonight's show, we are overjoyed to welcome our very special guest for the hour, Jay Miyakota Taylor. Miyakota is the founder of Fierce Allies, an organization that teaches relationship-based strategies that build communities of practice by catalyzing dynamics of power and privilege towards equity and justice. Tonight, we will learn why Miyakota and what it does We will discuss specific examples of how this dynamic works, and we will have the unique opportunity to be guided through practices that carry the work into our own lives. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts. I'm Kat Petru. And Laura Chegaray. Please stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Full Circle. Tonight's show is called A Fierce Ally Shift from Me to We in a conversation with Jay Miyakota Taylor. Uh, it is our pleasure to introduce to you Miyakota. Miyakota is the founder of Fierce Allies, an organization that draws from the fields of restorative justice, somatic healing, and experiential and popular education to foster deep partnerships across divides of power and privilege. In the first part of the hour, we will dive into what this means and how it works. First, a bit about Miyakota. Miyakota is a public speaker, coach, trainer, facilitator, mediator, and strategy consultant. They developed most of the Fierce Allies curriculum through their work teaching emotional and social intelligence to incarcerated populations. Miyakota, how are you doing this evening? Uh, it's uh, an interesting question to ask with all that's going on in California and around the world. So I'm, uh, my heart's tender right now and I feel really privileged to be here and to be talking with you and speaking to all the listeners. Thank you so much for being here. What else, can you share a little bit more with us about yourself? Sure. Um, I always like to start by sharing a little bit about my ancestry, and uh, it's worth noting that my ancestors are both indigenous and immigrants to this land. They are colonizers, they are slaves, and descendants of rape by one of the other. Um, my indigenous ancestors are Cherokee, Seminole, and Blackfoot. My people are from the Caribbean. Uh, the four corners of Europe, South, Southeast, and West Asia, uh, Caucasus, Polynesia, and nine countries in Africa. My people come from Jewish, Arabic, Catholic, Christian, Buddhist, and Earth-based spirit practices. Um, I prefer the gender pronoun, we. And uh, I also like to think of my people as those that uh, have disabilities, because I have that in my family line. My people are perpetrators and victims of violent crime. Um, and I like to think of all of you as my relatives. So uh, good evening, relatives. 
Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> so what does Fierce Allies do? So Fierce Allies is, it's a body of work and the the communities that we engage, we, we think of our clients as practice partners. So both our team and those we engage are our practice partners. And we practice having fiercely honest dialogues about all the things we know we need to be talking about, but are often avoiding because they're high risk conversations. So together... I'm teaching tools and techniques for navigating those high-risk conversations and catalyzing the challenges that they pose into opportunities for building trust and resilient partnerships across divides that would otherwise be thought of as insurmountable. Wow, that's amazing. So how long have you been doing this? If you asked my father, he'd say I'd been doing this since I was about three. Um, But officially, Fierce Allies uh, has been around since about 2009. Excellent. Can you tell a little bit of the story of how you came to found Fierce Allies? How I came to found it? Yeah, how did it start it? Yeah. Well, again, as my my father would say, it started (laughs) when I was three. Um, I... You know, I come from a family, as you hear, that's, that has a lot of difference and there's been a lot of divides and um, a lot of dismemberment um, within our recent and not so recent history. And um, as a kid, it never made sense to me. So I was always trying to build the bridges um, with uh, some success and a lot of failures. And I quickly learned that uh, failures were a great way to learn things. So I kept trying and um, over the course of my teenage years and my um, young adult years, I got to travel to some places that were deeply divided. I spent a year and a half in South Africa and spent time in, um, in Nepal while they were going through their civil war and was always trying to look at what are the opportunities that are presented by the differences that are here. And so it has unfolded from there. And, you know, it's also worth noting that... Um, I spent a fair amount of time before I was doing Fierce Allies doing what I referred to as organizational change strategy consulting. So I always liked being in those moments that were tense and people didn't know what to do um, and really leveraging that change as an opportunity. Um, and then I, then I realized what I really loved about it was the relationship building piece of that. So I left the other change stuff to others and, uh, and focused on the relationship-based strategy work with Fierce Allies. I want to I hop back just a second because when you introduced yourself, you, you said something that I've heard plenty of people refer to themselves as they, mm-hmm. um, which is really important. But you said you actually prefer the pronoun we. And since the name of the show is a shift from me to we, I thought that was really mm-hmm. Apropos, as they say, can you do you mind saying more about that? Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey with the the gender pronouns. Um, you know, I'm I'm part of a two spirit uh, uh, prayer community, and uh, I think while most of them identify and as two spirit along the um, gender spectrum, for me, I'm clear I fit in there largely because of my identity along the race spectrum. Mm. And so when they explained to me that idea of two-spirit, I'm like, yeah, these are my people. Um, And I felt embraced by them in that as well. And yet um, the term they 
so I, I moved into the they pronoun and it sort of fit. But at one time, that community was actually, we were prepping for ceremony and several of us were on a call. And I remember the the chief of the community asked us, um, we're often asked in conversations to use only, say, use the I. And she actually asked us to use we. And I remember when she said it, I was actually pretty disturbed by it, like wait, nobody, that's not what you're supposed to do. And it made me realize how, why that had, um, it had always been difficult for me when people would say we, and I was like, wait, that's not me, that's you. Like and how the much, royal we. Yeah, or, or just, or not wanting to be separated, you know, but yes, like the royal we. And it was amazing how much I, and I noticed our culture wanted the separation. Oh, that's your thing. And that's not my thing. And what she was really calling us into is if it's someone's thing, it's all of our thing. So let's start using the term we in order to do that. And uh, so I started. You're good. So, so I started um, embracing the term we. As a, as a practice of that, and it's also really interesting when I, when I lead trainings and I invite folks to, uh, when I'm not there, because I often start a training off with folks and then I leave them to do other work, they, uh, it, it's interesting for them to rather than say Mia Coda said or they said, to say we said and start to plant in them that what I'm teaching is not something that I know, but it's something that we're learning especially since the work is so based in popular education, they're actually doing most of the teaching. I'm just asking a lot of the questions. Fantastic. And there's a question here, um, why is this work so needed? But is there, I, I can see how it's so, so badly needed, but is there anything that you want to add in those terms? I mean, I kind of agree. It's It's kind of amazing to me that that it's taken this long for this work to sort of come of age. Um, it's interesting that the the work also has kind of exponentially increased since Trump was voted into office. Like literally the week after the election, the number of phone calls that we got and emails and requests just skyrocketed. And for a lot of folks, they were, you know, they were saying to me, now more than ever, this work is needed. And our response was, actually, this work was needed way before now, and you're late to the table. Um, and I think part of the reason people have been so late is because this work requires us to be uncomfortable. And people will avoid that to any extent that they can. And now they're so uncomfortable with what has resulted from avoiding the discomfort that they'd rather choose some folks are ready to choose the discomfort that comes with these conversations because they know the fruit that it will bear. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can we can we talk a little bit more about? Huh, I wasn't. I just said we. I wasn't even trying to. <laughs> wow. Um, can we though talk more about specifically what Fierce Allies does? It's just to to get a little more concrete about it. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? So in terms of like what services do we provide and what yeah. does that look like? And who are you working with? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Fierce Allies really um it's advanced training and in a lot of ways, our target audience are trainers, are people who facilitate um, difficult content that are, you know, social justice facilitators, uh, anti-racism or anti-oppression um, trainers. And in a lot of ways, I was thinking about, you know, people like myself who I've learned a lot, 
you know, both from my own life experience and from various trainings. And at some point, there was nowhere else to go to advance practices, you know, other than to keep kind of learning on the court. And so this is really a community of practice for those that are... I'm at the front edge of it and we've got to stay ahead of the curve and we've got to really have sophisticated tools and practices. So it's it's a pretty amazing um, and pretty diverse group of folks that are committed to being the frontline leaders of how do we advance these conversations um, across divides and really learn the art of calling each other in rather than calling each other out. And I mean, I think one of the distinctions of this work from what's typically thought of as like anti-racism or anti-oppression work is that work I think historically has been work that teaches people what not to do. Don't say this, don't do that. And that's that's useful in the sense that it, it prevents further harm from happening. And this work is then, okay, now what do you do? And it's not so much we tell you what to do, but we create an environment where people can practice figuring it out. And mostly they figure it out by trying it and making mistakes. And then we have this community of practice that will give you the feedback on what about that worked and what about that didn't. And what do I need from you if you actually want to call me into allyship around the issues that, that are important to you? And how do we find win-wins so that we're not in that either-or game that we either do what I want or what you want? That makes sense. That makes sense. I know that we have uh, just not too much more time left for this first part of our conversation. Um, Is there anything else that you want to make sure we talk about now before we get into more stories and practices that you actually, that stories from the field and practices that you actually utilize in this work? Because I know there's a lot we can say and we can weave that in later. Maybe I'll just say a little piece about allies. Please, Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been a real interesting journey having allies be in the name while a lot of the the field is moving away from that term. And so I get asked that question a lot and, you know, I'm like, oh, should I follow? And a big part of this work is reclaiming language. You know, there's so many words like power and privilege and allies that because people have misused power or privilege or the term ally, that we then throw the word out. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got to reclaim, we, we need to reclaim power. How did privilege become a bad word? It's a privilege mm. to have privilege. And we need to claim that back. And we want people to not want to avoid power, but to actually want to claim power and the responsibility that comes with it. And similarly with allyship, I think it's time that we, not as a noun, but as a verb, but I think it's really important that we not throw the word away, but we figure out how do we actually do it well. Um, a term that I heard recently um, is consensual allyship, hmm. which I think is really helpful because that's part of the issue, right? Oh, I'm an ally for X, Y, or Z, but am I doing anything, uh, you know, am I in relation with people who are more explicitly oppressed by this? And I know we can tease apart also like this concept that one pers- person A is oppressed and person B is privileged, like everybody embodies by, by virtue of being a human being in a, in a, here's another big word for you all, anthropocentric culture, meaning human-centered, meaning human beings are seen as, as more powerful, as better than all other animals by dominant culture. Of course, many of our cultures can go back 
we trace them back and, and still today don't live by that. But anyway, I know we are running out of time. Uh, do we have any more time? Ah, my hand signals were confusing. Um, so anyway, uh, I just appreciate that, that you get into that with not with with everything that you do with fierce allies, including the language. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know one of two of uh, the important pieces is hum- humility and um, mutual accountability are two two elements that we're working with all the time. And so allyship is not something you rise to; it's actually something you lower to. You know, just really being humble with what allyship is, rather than oh, I'm good at it. Oh, and then there's like ego that comes with it. It's yeah. really like the more the more of an ally you become, the more you stand in I don't know as a place of power. Like, I'm not yeah. sure how to do this. And the more you do that, the better of an ally you are. So it's we're, it's it's flipping it back to sort of that, that humble walk of what allyship looks like. That sounds great. I think we can go for some music. Great. More from Mia Koda when we get back. We'll get into stories and practices from the field. Stay tuned. I Two-thirds a person Rapings and beatings and suffering and worsens Black human packages tied up in strings Black rage can come from all these kinds of things Black rage is founded on blatant denial Squeeze economics, subsistence survival Deafening silence and social control Black rage is found in all wounds in the soul. When the dogs bite, when the bees sing, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember all these kinds of things, and then I don't fear so bad. You took my son away from me. You know how. It was for me to get him to stay in school and graduate. Black rage founded, fed us of hatred, lies and abuse. While we waited and waited, spiritual treason, this grid and its cages. Black rage is founded on these kinds of things. Black rage is founded on training and training. Thank <laughs> you. 
Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA. You just heard Black Rage by Lauren Hill. My co-host Kat and I are live in the studio with Jamie Akoda Taylor, founder of Fierce Allies, an organization dedicated to relationship-based strategies for social change. We've been discussing exactly how Miyakoda and Fierce Allies go about doing this and now we get to practice <laughs> so one key element of fierce allies work is practicing social emotional intelligence we are able to build this intelligence through somatic or body-based practices so before we get into a practice can you can you miyakota talk about what what is um somatic emotional intelligence I actually think it might be easier if I lead the practice and oh. then actually ask you because I have a funny feeling you'll be able to answer that after I lead. Then let's the do practice. that. Does that sound okay? Yes. Cool. So, um, so the practice I'm going to lead you in is one of our foundational practices, and it's called the dignity practice. Uh, so, and those of you listening on the radio can can join along. Uh, so, I invite you to generally it's actually done standing up, but you can do it seated or laying down. But I invite you to just let your spine be tall and supported, and you can. Soften or close your eyes, whatever feels most comfortable to you. And just start to take some deep breaths. And as you do, letting your belly get soft and your jaw get soft. And if you're standing, letting your knees get soft. And really just letting your breath fill your skin. And really thinking of that as a practice of entrusting yourself to the intelligence and the support of your skin. And I think most, most of us take for granted how brilliant the skin is and how useful it is. And it's this incredible container and connector and feeler and filter and discerner. And it does all these things that we can ignore, but it's, it's, it's quite intelligence. So just as you take a few more breaths, just uh, align with that and maybe even think of giving gratitude to the skin for all that it does for you all the time. And as you continue doing that, I invite you to also consider using your exhales to drop the weight of everything in your skin to the support of the earth below. Really allowing yourself to be unconditionally supported by the earth because that's what the earth does. <laughs> and as you do that, maybe even imagining dropping roots that anchor you in that support. And from those roots, I invite you to take a few inhales, really filling into the length of your body and noticing that your, your length, your, we're designed to actually grow tall in the face of obstacles and opportunity to protect what we love. Our body is designed to sit with dignity, to stand with dignity. So can you feel that? Can you rest in that design and trust yourself to that design? And similarly, using your breath, can you fill into the depth of your body, the back, as well as the front? And also filling into your, your width. And really thinking of that as a practice of entrusting yourself to your design to impact and be impacted by both what's behind you, the past, what's in front of you, the future, and what's next to you in the present, allies and adversaries alike, it is our design to impact and be impacted by all of these things. 
So can you entrust yourself to that design? And maybe just take a few breaths and trusting each of those dimensions to each other and noticing the resiliency that comes at the intersection of difference. And entrust yourself to that. And then I invite you to see if you can find a sensation in your body. And sensations are generally characterized by um, a location, maybe the shoulder, the hands, and they can have qualities of you know, shape like round or hard or soft. And sometimes they have movement qualities like tingling or pulsing. And they can have temperature qualities like cool or warm. So see if you can find one sensation right now that's calling for your attention. And first note to yourself, it's location and a few qualities. And then I'd love it if the three of us could go around and maybe share, again, the location and a few qualities about that sensation. Um, and for those of us that are listening, see if you can let yourself be impacted by what the person who's speaking shares. So then keep your sensation in present tense. Don't say, I was feeling this, but I am now feeling this. And see what does it take to let yourself be impacted by somebody else's experience. Whoever's ready can start us off. Kat, why don't you start us off? All right. I love this practice so much, and it's really cool to do it here. Um, the f- this time, my sensation was like this um, like strong, like, I don't know, like up and down my spine, just like this pillar of strength. <laughs> was or is? What's the sensation right now? Well, now it's changed because my physical posture is different uh-huh. than it okay. was when we were doing the practice. Uh-huh. But it, so at that moment, it uh-huh. was this strength anchoring from like my tailbone literally up through the crown of my head. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, I felt, or I am feeling mm. some kind of weight on my shoulders, mm. like something is, yeah, like something pushing down on my shoulders. Mm. But also I experienced my, my spine being um, straight mm. and I don't know that dignifies a sensation, but it, it kind of brings me some self-love. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I can share, I have a, it feels like I have a backpack on, like that there's straps on my shoulders sort of pulling my weight down and I can feel that weight like penetrating into my seat where I'm really anchored in that and yet I feel the length of me as sort of the counterbalance of that and I feel that really in it's almost like where my shoulders connect to the neck and it feels really strong there as everything else gets to rest in that support. Mm. So, and often when I lead that, I often ask people like, so how might that as a practice and in our work, we often share that practice and, and then invite people to be doing that all the time silently to themselves as a resource. And when in, when in doubt, share a sensation before you speak. And the invitation for everyone else is always to let yourself be impacted by what someone shares. So how might any aspect of that might serve emotional, social intelligence or be a resource in fiercely honest dialogues about uncomfortable content? Thoughts? (laughs) Do you want to say anything? Well, I can see how people are experiencing things different from me. And that's always... um, illuminating it brings um 
it brings the idea of to my mind that how the way I conduct myself has an effect on other people mm-hmm. and it could go either way it could be positive or it could be negative the way but if it makes me be more aware of myself I have a thought and I also know we have not too much time before our next music break but it was just so striking to do it here where I'm when I've done it with you before it's not been in the context of being partially working and it just makes me note that even even at a place as as fabulous and as um, progressive as KPFA that we're still trained it doesn't matter where we are we've in this American society we've been so trained to perform tasks or this is how I feel but we have been trained to perform tasks and so we often relate to each other um, like just to get something done and it's like our whole self isn't welcome into the room um and so it's not about mind being better than body or body than mind it's all always interconnected and we can talk about our souls too and it's i just i had this sense of like the people on the other side of the glass judging which you're not probably but like judging that like we're closing our eyes you know there's this whole judgment on on so-called woo-woo and that's really problematic because again it's like uh uh, I could go on and on about it, but I just really appreciate how just getting, doing this these practices for social emotional intelligence is it's like the Audrey Lord quote that like self care is is a radical or political act. Like it's it makes me think of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's worth noting that you know for me part of the reason it's such an important emotionally socially intelligent tool is at the end of the day the hardest thing about being alive is actually being in the body, Mm. right? Like if we didn't have bodies, we wouldn't be afraid of death. We wouldn't be afraid of pain. We wouldn't be afraid of any of that. And that body is the common denominator that we share. Mm. So we all know the vulnerability of being in the body. And so it's the place where we can actually connect despite all of our differences and still embody the differences of how we experience being in the body in a particular conversation or circumstance. Yes, thank you for saying that. Let's go ahead and listen to our next music break. And when we come back, more from Mia Coda Taylor. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Yeah. 
Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. You just heard Rise Up by Andra Ray or Andra Day. We are your hosts, Kat Petru and Laura Chagaray. And we're coming to you live in studio with Miyakota Taylor, founder of Fierce Allies, an organization that teaches relationship-based strategies that build communities of practice by catalyzing dynamics of power and privilege towards equity <coughs> and justice. Yes. So I would we just and we just did for those who are just tuning in or maybe caught the tail end of that last segment, Miyakota just led us through what's called the dignity practice. Um, a somatic or social emotional in, in intelligence technique. Um, Miyakota, can you tell us about what you're working on right now? Got a couple of projects going, but one that's particularly juicy right now is this work I'm doing with this organization called Weaving Earth. And interestingly, they they teach relational education. So how to be in right relationship to the planet, to water, to animals, to all our relations. Um, and in the past, they've uh, sprinkled in social justice work over the course of the, their, their main program is called the, um, the Immersion Program. Um, and they, it's a nine month program. And again, usually they sprinkle in social justice stuff over the course of that year. And They decided this year that they actually wanted to bulk load the social justice stuff into the front, particularly because they are um, an all-white staffed organization. Most of the teachings that they're sharing are come from indigenous lineages, and they've been okay. shared these teachings by indigenous teachers who have who are so grateful to them for carrying this and spreading knowledge on how to steward land to be in right relationship to fire so that it doesn't all go up in flames and stuff like that, stuff that we all need to know. Um, and the vast majority of the participants are also white. And uh, and yet, how, did the, how do we navigate the dynamics of appropriation, misappropriation, um, The staff is actually quite good at, at being really appropriate in how they speak to these things. And yet a lot of the participants are somewhat newer to these conversations. And so when they've had participants of color show up, it's been a, a somewhat painful experience yeah, I can you know, for them. And they're really committed to making sure that um, 
that's not the case because that's that's not right relationship. So we're on this sort of renegade course. Like, how do you do that? Like, wh- what do we need to shift? So we threw some really intense Fierce Allies activities into the first five-day intensive of the immersion. And, uh, and one of the things that we did was uh, we separated the groups into people of color and, and, and non-POC and invited the people of color to come up with what do they need to feel safe and supported to show up in this predominantly white environment, learning predominantly indigenous practices, and for the non-POC to gather and what do they need from themselves and each other to show up um, in support of the people of color being able to protect what they love. And so we gave them separate activities and... It's been pretty amazing. I mean, the, the the people of color came up with the list with a list of things that, in hindsight, you know, a lot of my colleagues and friends are like, "Why has this list not been created before?" Because it's such obvious stuff, and yet it's the first time I've ever seen it in writing. You know, simple things like the I think the first one they asked was. Don't ask the people of color to be a facilitator, spokesperson, or translator for anything related to race, class, you know, or justice without offering us compensation. Like, very simple stuff. Um, Introduce yourself. Whenever you introduce yourself, name that you are a settler and know the indigenous people of the lands on which you live. And if you don't know that, do that research. Um, Also, name that you're white and name your ancestry and do that with dignity. And um, if you share any songs or practices, know the lineage and make sure you have permission from somebody originally of that lineage to share that. And You mean the the indigenous practices, not the ones of their own lineage? Well, both, though. Well, yeah. You know, and it's really, these are more practices for the white participants who are, you know, whether you're sharing a song or you're sharing a prayer or know the lineage of Mm -hmm. it, name the lineage. And it's amazing how many of us learn stuff, even from indigenous teachers, where we were not given, um, necessarily given permission. And um, because... A lot of indigenous folks never thought that they had to worry about that. And yet it's our responsibility to make sure we know how to share it. Do we have, we might have permission to use it in our lives, but do we have permission to share it with others? And if so, how do we do that properly? And so these are some of the practices that people of color came up with. And these are things that we're practicing on a daily basis there among other really um essential ancestral arts on how to be in right relationship. So it's pretty amazing. Were you going to say something? No. Okay, the, I, I have a question then. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share, Was can you, like literally, is it okay to share some of what the group of non-POC folks came up with of white folks? Yeah, I mean, that list. They're, they're working on that. Useful. They're working on that right now. And I really, you know... Um, I first want to say that I have so much respect for the non-POC. Um, it's been a really interesting journey because they brought this work on sort of last minute. Like all the, They've been calling in the prayer, like we need to have a strong social justice element here, and they've been increasing that, but then they found out about Fierce Allies and pretty quickly were like, this has to be part of this year's immersion. So everyone's sort of playing catch up with the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for a lot of the non-PSC, they didn't know that this was going to be as central as it is. And so they're like, whoa, did I consent to this? Like, is this what I signed up for? And yet, since they signed up for, you know, learning how to be in right relationship, if you want to be in right relationship to all my relations, then yes, this is what you signed up for. And so, you know, right now what they're really working on is how do they be fierce allies to each other mm-hmm. so that... um the burden doesn't fall on the people of color and how do they make sure they're not throwing each other under the bus and that they're learning the art of calling each other in Um, and that if someone drops the ball they don't sort of disassociate and say oh that person messed up but they're actually you know what I also didn't correct you so I'm just as accountable for the harm that that may have caused to the people of color as you are that we are all accountable for all of each other and learning how to build that fabric of um of partnership and accountability um so that's that's what they're working on right now thank you thank you for that up next we're gonna hear i don't think we need to take a break just yet no no but did you want to ask a question to miyakota otherwise i'm sure i can think of more questions well i was thinking about how does that um shows up in the practice how does that, when that happens and people are actually starting to work with each other in a dignified way, how does that show up in the world? What is the effect that, what what does that create out there? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to that, that humility piece that we were talking about in the beginning where, you know, we often talk about cultural humility as learning how to stand in I don't know as a place of power. So that's what they're proud, like, but they don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And I'm not claiming that I do know or that they even should know. Like, we're not actually aspiring to, oh, I'm good at this. We're aspiring to, I'm really comfortable not knowing, therefore being really curious and being really attuned and really paying attention. Because no matter what I might know about what Latino people, you know, uh, want to, you know, want to be treated, that may not apply to all Latinx people, you know. And so really, how do I, no matter how good I get at this, can I also get increasingly humble about it? And in a lot of ways, what I think it often produces is a lot more listening and a lot less talking and defending and explaining. And so, um, yeah, and a lot more curiosity uh, yeah, so it, it, it shifts it, shi- it shifts that whole defensive mechanism into uh, a place of familiarity. That makes sense. Well, it's so interesting because we have, oh man, how do you say this? Like, it's weird to keep dividing ourselves up and get, you know, like into, say, like white and POC categories because we can all nuance our identities in so many ways. And yet the harm is still there. White supremacy is still is rampant. And so it's I like what I'm appreciating about the work and also how you're talking about it is like the both and the like. Uh, the always present both and of like where we seek to move in a direction where we are in right relationship with one with one another and with the earth and until we're there we hold each other accountable in this process of unlearning and of creating tr- truly 
authentic relationships with all of the humility and dignity that that you're both speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. So now we can go to our music break. When we come back, we'll have um, more stories and or practices with Miyakota Taylor of Fierce Allies. Please stay tuned. Señor Presidente, le vengo a avisar. No tengo papeles para trabajar. Señor Presidente, pregunto por qué matan al moreno con piel. Si fuera presidente, honestamente, si fuera presidente, para mi gente, si fuera presidente, honestamente, si fuera presidente, para mi gente. If I was president, I'd roll up my sleeves as I face the congregation. First thing I do is free education. And every third period, yo, we practice meditation. Like a brown Robin Hood, I'd take from the rich and I'd give to the poor So my little sister ain't gotta be hungry no more And my first lady would be my mom's Cause she'd smack me at the first thought of drone strikes and dropping bombs And if I was president, I'd free all my poor black and brown kids that got caught up in three strikes And when they get out, they get three bites So they can ride to the future, back to the past Go to the store, get some chips with no GMO Cause my folks, we got a right to know And if you don't know, now you know me gusta la lima, me gusta el limón, pero no me gusta tanta corrupción. You are listening to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA. We just heard If I Was President by Las Cafeteras. My co-host, Lara Chegaray, and I are live in studio with Miyakota Taylor, the founder of Fierce Allies. Miyakota has been sharing with us stories from her work fostering relationships that support social change, as well as practices that we can all take into our lives and apply to all of our relations. So the next, and we just, so what, uh, if you're just tuning in, the last we thing we were just speaking about was what Miyakota is working on currently, um, which is a project. And can you say the name of the organization again? Weaving Earth. Weaving Earth, um, mostly run by uh, white folks. And now there's a mixed group of people, white folks and POC and, and um, building building practices and building community and building relationships to actually do their work with more integrity. Um, so now, can you talk about Imelda? Sure. Um, uh, Imelda is the, the, the lead on another project that I'm working on with the Latino Coalition for Healthy California. And... Uh, yeah, the project that we're really working on there, and actually I just want to say a little context about that. You know, a lot of people think that this work is designed primarily for white folks, and it's not. First of all, the work's not about race. The race is about, the, convers the conversation in the work is about dynamics of power and privilege, which means 
those dynamics are at play in every relationship. Race happens to be the, one of the more visible ones, so it often gets catalyzed, but that's not what the work's about. And I'm also really clear that people often think that work that is thought to be anti-racism or anti-oppression, which is not what I consider this work to be, but people seem to think that's what it is because that's the closest neighbor. Um, they think that that work is for white folks. And for me, I don't, I don't subscribe to that because I don't believe that it's, if my liberation as a person of color is dependent on how much work they do, I just gave my power away, which means I'm replicating the system of power that I claim to want to dismantle. And so this work is about how do we empower those of us who want to be liberated to figure out how do we navigate these waters and how do we claim the power and how do we change the whole dynamic of power at play. And so um, one of the projects I'm working on now is with the Latino Coalition for Healthy California which is doing phenomenal work, especially because they have such a broad definition of what health is. And that includes everything from immigration rights to mental health to access to policy um, and really that broad sense of if we're healthy as a people, that we have to address all of these things. And, um, and they're clear that as representatives of the fastest growing population in you know the United States, that they have a responsibility to ally up with other, you know, other movements. And so we're in the process of organizing a series of conversations that will either be a video series or a webinar series of bringing together leaders from different um, movements to figure out what is it that divides us and what would it take for that to be the, the very, those very things to be the opportunities for us to unify, um, to build power and to change, to change the game. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I, if, if it seems like something to be aired ever on the radio, please let us know. For sure. It's, in, it's, I love the definition of health that you just, that, that the organization has because it is inherently that shift from me to we. Um, under, understanding, first of all, that health isn't. It's everything. It's everything. And it's, it's and well it's. well being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to say something? No, well, it's the well-being of, of, you know, you can't be okay if these other factors are affecting you every day. You can right. have to deal with it. And I love the fact that you are linking to other organizations because definitely we have a lot more in common than we that the things that divide us. And that's, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Are we going to talk about one of those um, um, exercises that... You're doing. Are we going to do more of that? We could. We could close oh. with one more exercise if you wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we have definitely have time to do that. Cool. Can I share a quote before we sure. co- before we get to the exercise? <laughs> Is it a quote I said? No. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no. Don't worry. You can we visit our website for a list of quotes from you. No, don't oh, do that. <laughs> but we will have fierce allies on our website. We'll we'll talk about that later. But no. Um. Just this quote that I. It's central to the work that I do. Um. By Murray, visual artist, activist, and scholar Lila Watson. Um, Murray, as an Aboriginal from so-called Australia. And she says, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because, I just love it. If you've come because your liberation is bound in mind, then let us work together. And I just hear that in, in Fierce Allies' work and, and specifically in this organization, you're, what you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's worth noting, again, I don't think there's a lot of places 
for people of color to go to learn the emotional social intelligence. You know, part of what we're often talking about in those conversations is remembering, again, we often have that very simple I have power or you have power kind of divide. And, you know, I often like to think about in conversations around race, class, power, and privilege, I actually have a lot more privilege and power. I have a lot more permission to say things. Um, um, I, yeah, I also uh, have a lot more practice and experience. I'm a lot more comfortable with it. So what am I doing with the power and privilege that comes with that? Am I meeting that with increased responsibility? And if I can figure out how to do that, then I can actually figure out what it is I'm asking of you in terms of meeting your areas of increased power and privilege with increased responsibility as well. So really using that as, a, as an angle. That makes sense. Ooh. Yeah. Do you want to share a practice? Sure. Will you join me in it? Yeah. 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 Okay. So this practice is, uh, it's a cultural humility practice and we call it living into the question and it's pretty simple. And uh, I just invite us to, so basically we're going to name questions um, and the only rules are don't use yes or no questions and no why questions. And I'd just love to invite us to just maybe go around one or two times with what are, what are some questions that of deep wonder. We're not seeking to answer these questions. These are questions we want to have call us in to wonder for as long as possible based on the things that we've talked about. Okay, so questions of deep wonder based can, on what we've talked about. Not yet. to share a sensation before you speak. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> not directed to a specific person, but... No, uh, so I can give an example. Uh -huh. um, you know, what would it take for, well, let me share a sensation first. Uh, a little bit of tension right at the top of my belly. And, uh, you know, what would it take for more people to hear the invitation of discomfort? Um, to hear discomfort as an invitation and an opportunity for learning, growth, and healing. <sighs> I have, like, just feels like tension in my whole back, which is interesting. Um, I mean, the thing that's coming to mind, is, it is related to what we're talking about. It's just the fires and the smoke right now. And my question is, um, what's the question? How, how come, how, how what? Oh, it's so hard not to ask a why question. How do these... Uh, um, I can coach you through a why one if you want to. Well, it's... Okay, cool. Well, okay, for practice, let's do that. So if I were to say, like, why did these fires happen? Or it's more like, how did these fires happen and how can we learn? The question is this. How can we learn from, from in the last few months, earthquakes in Mexico City and elsewhere? I can't remember where off the top... Two hurricanes in Puerto Rico, another one in the States also hitting, I mean, countless hurricanes, Ten earthquakes. Year. Ten this year. And now wildfires. Like, how can we as a species learn from this message that we're getting from the earth? Great question. Well, I was thinking in terms of personal power. What does it take for people to find their power and claim it and and begin to use it for their own liberation 
Beautiful. Beautiful. Great questions. And as you could probably see, that could that game could keep going. Like, what are often the first question is not the most interesting one, and you start to follow the thread, and then you just want to keep asking more questions and being more humble. Well, I know we are nearly out of time. Um, I do want to remind folks to go to kpfaapprentice.org and there we'll have a link to the Fierce Allies website so that if you want to be in touch with Miyakota or participate or just learn more, you can check it out um, briefly. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, it might just be worth noting. So, you know, Clients often, uh, again, our practice partners, but are typically thought of as clients, um, often call us to lead trainings, but we uh, also maybe once or twice a year lead a public training for advanced practitioners um, that's called the Wisdom Intensive, and then there's a whole Train the Trainer arc, and we have coaching services as well. So there's a wide variety of ways to access the work. Thank you so much. Go for it. Our executive director is Ms. M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We've been your host, Kat Petru and Laura Chagaray. Special thanks to Darlene on the ones and twos and our tech assistant, Stephen Sharon. Yes. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. And just so you know, next week on Full Circle, we'll have Josiah Luis with his infamous Spanglish Power Hour. Thank you again to Miyakota. Have a beautiful night.